Lord, we just thank you for this afternoon or this evening. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Guide and lead us as we study. And we just thank you for those that are here. In your son's precious name, amen. Ezekiel chapter 16, starting at verse 28. You have played the whore also with the, Assyri with the Assyrians because you were unsatiable. Yea, you have played the harlot with them and yet could not be satisfied. You have moreover multiplied your fornication in the land of Canaan unto the Chaldea, and, you, and yet you were not satisfied herewith. How weak is your heart, says the Lord God, seeing that you do all these things and work an imperious, whorish woman, in that you have built your eminent place at the head of every way and make your place in every street and have not been as a harlot in that thou scorns higher, but as a wife you have committed adultery, which takes strangers instead of her husband. They give gifts to all whores, but you give your gifts to your lovers and hire them, that they may come unto you on every side for your whoredom. And the contrary is you from other women in your whoredoms, whereas none follow you to commit whoredoms. And in that you give a reward, and no reward is given unto you, whereof you are contrary. <clears throat> so we're continuing the story of Israel as the harlot that God has been talking about in this chapter. If you remember, we talked about uh, the fact that they were they transferred everything that God gave them to the idols, and and played the harlot with the idols, and made gods out of out of the gold that God gave them and, and decorated them with the fine things and gave the foods over. And then it talked about that they would their beauty to be abhorred and, and opened up their feet to everyone that passes by. They had fornication with the Egyptians and fornication with the Philistines, in other words, took their gods. And so we're going to continue on after that using our context there. And it says in verse 28, you have played the whore also with the Assyrians because you were unsatiable. Yea, you played the harlot with them and you could not be satisfied. So not only have they taken the gods of Philistine and Egyptians, they're now going to the Assyrian gods and filling their, filling their full of all these things. And it says that they're unsatiable. And this is the problem that we face with sin, period. When you start going after sin, sin is always unsatiable. It cannot be satisfied in the, in the long run. It seems to at first, and yet it always takes more and more and more sin to be able to get the same feeling, same excitement out of it. And it comes to a point where you can't even get excitement from sin. And people who get into drugs and alcohol find that. You know, they start out, they can get a high or, or with just a small amount and then the longer they use them the less satisfied they are people who get into adultery and fornication have the same problem they the first one's a thrill you know first time out is a thrill then it's less and less of a thrill every time to the point where it leaves them totally empty and here god says you're insatiable you keep following after these gods and nothing satisfies you at all so we're talking about this. God is looking at this and saying it is really pretty bad. And then he says yet in verse 29, you have moreover multiplied your fornications in the land of Canaan unto Chaldea, and yet you were not satisfied herewith. So he's saying you even went to all the gods of the Canaanites. 
and you still weren't satisfied. This is a picture of a country and a nation that has gone totally evil. And yet, it is also the picture of individuals who go into sin and just are never happy with what sin. Sin will never satisfy the emptiness in our heart. But even for people as a whole, sin never satisfies the emptiness that only God can fill, no matter what that sin might be. And we see this over and over. We've seen it also in probably in our lives where we can do things and just never satisfies. They don't understand why it doesn't satisfy, but it doesn't satisfy because they're looking for something. And most of us, before we were a Christian, we were looking for something that would satisfy. And it took finding God to be able to be satisfied. And once we find God and have that relationship with him and he indwells us, he fills the hole because it's a God-shaped hole, which means it's an infinite-sized hole that only God can fill because he's infinite. And it doesn't matter. Some people try to fill it with, with uh, good works and righteousness and, and all of that, and it's still never going to satisfy because they're chasing, even though they're chasing after what we would say are good things, it still does not satisfy because only God is the one that will satisfy the hole that we have. And this is why people will oftentimes go chasing after God, chasing after good things, give, give away all that they have, trying to do good works and be nice to people and kind to people and try to do all these good things, try to follow the Ten Commandments and still be totally empty because it's God that they really need. And this is why it's important for us to give Jesus in our, in our life and he comes in and he fills our life and he makes us satisfied. And until he f- satisfies us, nothing else will. No amount of good works, no amount of following after him, no amount of going to church and, and having godly friends and everything will satisfy if we don't have him. Yeah, I mean, going to like church and all that is not the same as having God. Exactly. You know, you, 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 you probably get into it. Yeah, you could read your Bible. You could read your Bible every day, two or three times a day. You could go to church every day of the week, sing the songs and all of that, and still not know God, and be empty and headed to hell. Even though you're doing what people would say is good, they would look at you and say, "Wow, you're a really good Christian. You go to church every every Sunday. You're reading your Bible. You're." You're doing this and the other thing, but if you don't know God, it's all a, a waste of time. This is about applying, applying that stuff or? Having the relationship with him. Literally having the relationship with him, which will lead to going to church and reading the Bible and, and following and doing good works. But it is having that relationship with him that says, I know God. He lives inside me. And everything else is just a whole bunch of good works, good, good works, and it doesn't do you a bit of good. His whole desire is to have a relationship with us. He wants to know us in, intimately, in an intimate way. He wants to be the one that is our Lord, our Savior, our Master, but he lives inside us to guide us and lead us into all that we do. In reality, he knows eventually he knows everything we do, right? He always knows everything we do. No, him knowing what we're going to do is not it either. It's really coming down, and if we look at our memory verse for this month, uh, is Romans 10, and that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shall believe in your heart, and this believe is not just believe that he exists, but to literally 
put all your trust in him. Believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead and has sa- you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the mo- important thing is we confess that he's Lord, we confess that he's our Lord, and we put our full trust in him. That's going to come in stages, obviously. When you're first saved, you do not have a lot of trust to put in him, but you put what trust you do have in him. Now, after you've walked with God for decades, you have a lot more trust that you put into him, and you say, God, I'm giving you everything I have because you are my all in all. We sing this song, this is the air that I breathe, and it goes, I'm desperate for you. You know, are we desperate for God in our life? Are we desperate for him in what we do? Or can we live with or without him? It's not that big a deal. If we can live with or without him, we've got to deal with our relationship with him. Because he should be the center of everything I do, the center of how I think, the center of how I act. Not because I'm just trying to follow this list checklist. Righteousness, you know, when people try to live a righteous lifestyle, they're just following a checklist. Here's, here's my list of what's righteous. Go to church, read my Bible, talk to one person every day about Jesus, uh, you know, say my prayers you know, at every meal, whatever, whatever that checklist is for, for an individual. If that's all you're trying to do is check off the boxes in a, on a list, that's not knowing God. Well, I guess that's my next question. How do you have the way we develop that is the same way we would develop any friendship. We spend time with that individual and just spend as much time as we can with him. We pray to him. We get into the word. We, we talk to him. We listen to how, what he wants to do. We get into the word of God. It's the spiritual and emotional. Now, I will tell you, those, those of us who have had a harder time making friends are going to have a harder time learning to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And my lack of desire to make friends did affect for many years my relationship with God. I was always the new kid in town. I didn't care about making friends. And it did affect my, my relationship with God because I never actively pursued him as a, as, as a friend. I would tell him, talk, tell him that you're having a problem with it. Ask him to help you get that relationship. I mean, it's very important because honestly, if we don't fully trust God with everything... And I mean everything. He knows it anyway. And he wants us to be intimate with him and be able to get into the word of God and share with him because he shares with us for the word. The word has become so real to me. The intimacy with God has become so real with me. The fact that he guides and leads me in everything that I do and say is so important that without it, you can't know that you know, know him. It is important that we develop that relationship with him, and it really does come down to relationship. Some people have an easier time with relationships. Some people have a very hard time with relationship. But a lot of it is taking us out of who we are in our flesh into who we are going to be with God, because he says when he comes in, he makes us a new creation. And that new creation is who he's going to make us to be as we go along. And like I said, I had to learn the hard hard a lot of hard lessons because I didn't want to, I always didn't want to make friends because I was always going to be moving out, you know, right away. And so I just got this hardcore attitude toward people. I was more of an introvert, didn't care about meeting people, didn't care about making friends because I was going to be gone next year and it didn't matter to me. Now, as God has been teaching me to love people, 
it's been it's been a long process where he's been teaching me to love people and to to draw alongside of people and to become friends with people. Because to me, it seems it's uh, it's almost like it's less painful. Oh, it's much less painful it's not to have friends. Better. When I had no friends, it was I didn't have to worry about hurting anybody. It didn't matter. Now I care about what people do, and and when I teach when I teach the Bible and and watch people not respond, it hurts me. Not hurts me personally because I wasted my time teaching, but it hurts me knowing what they're going to have to go through to learn the lessons the hard way. Yes, to love people, to have friends is a very painful lifestyle because you learn to care for these people or individuals. And if they don't act the way you know they should, you're not angry with them, but you're hurting because of the pain that they're going to have to go through. So yes, being an intimate friend does cause pain. Now, the good news is being an intimate friend with God is not going to cause pain because he's never going to let you down. We let him down all the time. He feels that same. He feels the pain. I think sometimes I feel that, I think that we feel that he's let us down. We might. If you're looking at him, I would say it's definitely not accurate. But I'm sure we feel it quite often. Sometimes you feel like you Prayers are always answered. The thing we have to do is understand that all prayers are answered. May not be the answer. May not be the answer we want. I didn't feel like that. Well, we often don't feel that way. We pray because we want something. When God says no, we feel like He's not answered our prayer. He has some other reason for it, and we have to come up with that. God had a reason for what happened. Sometimes we're going to know what those reasons are. Sometimes we're not going to know what those reasons are until heaven. One of the examples that I have shared with people before is. I've, I, I suffer from gout, and there was a point in time where I had a, an, attack, an attack of gout for about six months, and I was on crutches for about six months. Uh, couldn't sleep most nights because of the pain. Okay, and I kept asking God, you know, God, I, you know, I'm tired of this. Can we get rid of this? And the answer obviously was no for about six months. So, well, I still have it, but I mean, this was an attack that kept me on, on, on the crutches. About a year and a half later, a person had come up to me because, you know, there's nothing good about being in, in gout pain. There, you know, nothing good physically, nothing good emotionally. It's very hard to concentrate even spiritually because all you can think about is the pain. About a year and a half later, this one older person came by and said, you know, you really encouraged me by how faithful you were when you were on those crutches for, for six months. The pain I went through had no good reason for, you know, good reason for me but it definitely had a good reason for somebody to watch me be faithful it's not always about us it could be somebody just looking at you and saying you stayed faithful with god you stayed honoring to god you you know whatever it might be it could be god i just spent that time praying with you when i went through this or whatever it might be we don't know exactly who's being touched what's being touched we don't really even know sometimes how we are growing in the process when, when God says no, Paul, with the affirmity in his flesh, kept asking God, heal me, you know, take this way, take it away. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And in other words, no, Paul, I'm not taking it away. My grace will keep you. Why you went through what you did, I can't even begin to, to say why or how come. But just be aware that God has a reason for what, what happened. But we just keep this in mind. God is faithful always. Now, the fact is, we don't like no for an answer. God knows what's good for us and what's not good for us. 
Just as we as parents sometimes will tell our kids no, not because we're being mean to them or trying to spoil their fun, but we just know that if they do something or they get a certain answer in their life, it is not good for them down the road that we can see down the road that they can't see down the road. Usually when he says no, he's either trying to teach us something or he's saving us from something else. Always remember that God always answers prayers. We just may not like the prayers because we want yes. But we see this idea that God is what's going to fulfill us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And he will do what it takes to break us to get us to have a relationship with him. Sometimes that means he has to break a lot of pride. And God's, God spent a long time teaching me to love others and to love him. I loved him faster than I loved others. He spent a long time teaching me to be able to love people. It's come with a great price. But yeah, God is saying, I, I want to have a relationship with you. And he'll do what it takes to break us to draw us closer to him. And if that means he puts us on our back, there's many people that have had to been literally, physically on their back before they finally come to God and say, hey God, I, I, I finally give up. He'll do that. If it's taking everything away from us so that we have to depend on him and, and really turn to him, he'll do that. He'll do what it takes to make us come to him if, if we're his children. I never heard it gone to that. Job, Job had lessons to learn. Part of Job was called a good, a perfect man, but he had lessons to learn. If you really look at the book of Job, he had lots. He picked them. He No, he was definitely picked on purpose. No, he said, if you consider Job, he's a perfect man, but yet Job had. So Job was not perfect. No, Job wasn't perfect, but God told Satan that he was, and because God saw him through the righteousness of Christ. But he knew also that Job was a man that was seeking after God. He hated evil. He wanted to do right, even though there were things he didn't do right. And in the process, God was teaching Job a lot of things at the same time. It was a hard lesson. But where Job was at, it had to be a hard lesson. Well, he, could replace all, he could replace all the physical things Well, Job got twice as much of everything, including children, because he had children in heaven. He had children in heaven, which he was going to have for eternity, and he had the children on on the earth. You understand God has a reason for everything that he does and allows. And this was, in Job's case, it was to teach him that a bunch of his theology was bad. Even though he hated evil and did, did good things, he had a lot of theology that was wrong, and God wanted to teach him some of his, the, correct some of his theology. The same theology that he carried today. The theology Job has is, is current today, prosperity gospel. You do good, you get blessed. Never going to talk about that. Never going to talk about Job because Job is ever, totally contrary to everything they believe and teach. And Job had a prosperity gospel. Because his friends kept coming to him, Job, you know that people don't get punished. If they're, you know, righteous don't get punished, you have to be bad. And Job goes, I know what you're saying is true, but, okay, and that's pretty much the answer every time. Every time one of Job's friends come to him, it's all in poetic language. Job, this, is, this, is, this doesn't happen to people. And he goes, I know what you're saying is true, but, and he goes into a large, long syllogy. He agrees with what they're saying as being true, but he goes, I'm not, I'm not guilty of these things. So I really, and so Job was having to struggle. God does this with us all the time. If we have bad theology in our brain, 
He's going to put us into positions to challenge our theology and make us come to him and say, God, what is true? This is something that you will learn. If you've got bad theology in your life, and we all do, we all have elements of bad theology in our, in our life, God is going to put us in positions that are going to challenge our theology and make us come back to a biblical understanding of it or come back to him in, in reality. And that's what he did to Job. And it was a big, long lesson, but Job, Job learned it. It would help his wife learn it. It helped his three, friend, you know, his three friends or disciples whom, as far as we understand, he taught them this theology. So when they came back at him saying, Job, you taught us, basically saying, Job, you taught us this and you're, and you're not living it. So what's going on? And so there was a lesson for Job, a lesson for his friends, probably a lesson for his wife, and a lesson for all those around watching him, how, how faithful God was going to be in the long run. So there's lots of lessons in there that are very kind of hidden, hidden lessons that we don't usually think about. Verse 30, how weak is your heart, says the Lord God, seeing you have done all these things and work the work of an imperilous, whorish woman. So we're going to look at this imperilous, and this is somebody who's domineering and overbearing. <laughs> so it says you have a weak heart, you, you're, you're exhausted in your heart because they could not stay faithful to God or would not stay faithful to God. And he says, your heart is weak. You've done all these things, all these whorish activities, and you work as a domineering whorish woman. And there's probably nothing worse than a domineering <laughs> whorish woman. It's, uh, you know, this is, you know, selling herself and yet wanting to be domineering in the process is not a good combination. And he says, that's what you're doing. And it says in verse 31, in that you built your eminent places at the head of every way and you make your high places in every street and have not been a harlot in that you scorned your hire. <laughs> all right. So they're building temples. They're building uh, idols all over the place. And then it says even worse, he goes, and you even scorn those that you're trying to hire. <laughs> this is a strong sense. He's going, you're following all these idols and yet you're scorning them and trying to follow me at the same time and you're scorning really scorning everything and scorning he's scorned talk about Israel and their and their attitude toward the idols because they're the bride of God they're the bride of God or the wife of God is how it's described this is why he's using a whore you're going after you're going after all these other gods all the other gods in this land you're going with and and Ezekiel, again, remember Ezekiel is at that time when they've been captured into Babylon. Ezekiel and Daniel and them went in the first wave and many, there's going to be three waves in all. And they're coming up on this, the second or third wave here. And he's saying, you're coming to the end. You know, repent. Get, you know, quit going after the other gods. And God is really strict with this. When you're going after the other gods, he calls it being a whore. You're, you're following other people other than himself. For us as Christians, it's the same thing. If we're following after other gods, other religions, other things to be number one in our life other than Jesus, we are playing the, the prostitute with God. And this is something that when we really start understanding sin the way God sees it is a lot stronger than the way we, we, we see it. We don't really see sin as awful as, it, as God sees it. And we need to. 
But sin is another one of those things where I've said none of us see God for exactly how it is. You know, however big we think God is, he's bigger. However, you know, forgiving he is, he's more forgiving. The way he sees sin is the same way. He sees sin darker than no matter how much we see it. And this is, we see it in our own life. And as you grow in Christ, you're going to start seeing it more and more. You start seeing the big things. You know, let me get these big things out of my life. The, the drugs, the alcohol, the lying, the, the, you know, whatever. And then we start dealing with the more of the, the thought life, the lust, the, the desires. And then, then God starts really showing us the little in detailed things of what's wrong in our life. And he goes, well, you know those little snide comments you've been making to people? I don't like those. You know, you, you know those gossips that you've been you know, spreading? I don't like those. You know those thoughts that you've been having that, you, that you, nobody else knows about? I don't like those. And he keeps working it down to the place where we really start to begin to understand sin the way God begin to understand sin the way and we start really understanding that he says that our heart is deceitful and wicked beyond all knowledge who can know it and the longer we walk with him the more we get to begin to see wow i really am desperately evil in the core of who i am and that's god changing it and opening it up and saying here's just a little more here's a little bit more now, people will look at us and say, wow, you've got your whole life together. You're, you're a really righteous person. And you're kind of going, well, if you only knew. <laughs> if you only really knew what God doesn't let come out of me because he's changing me. And you start beginning to understand sin the way God sees it. This is where I, when I start talking about, you know, watching TV shows and realizing how sinful the shows are that are considered good. Even some good Christian shows and, and movies, you look at and then going, no, how could you guys be going there? That's not, <laughs> that's not good, you know. But it all comes down to what will be good to you even in this day and age. And, and I'm not even necessarily, when you grow, when you go back to look at it, you're going to go, wow. And this is what I say. There's shows that I used to watch when I was in my 20s and 30s that I look at now and go, how could I ever have watched they show, and not because they're blatantly sinful. They just make fun of things that God says is serious. And I look at it and I'm going, how could I have been so deceived? And yet it's because of how far I've grown in those areas. But that also indicates the whole idea of that coarse, off-color joke where you don't really quite say it, but everybody knows what you're talking about. The whole premise of Three's Company was based on that. Oh yeah, a lot of double entente, you know, and that's, uh, you know, that is again something that is not, which is why I never watched it more than the one episode I saw that in, so it was, this is something that is very important. Are we touched by these things and realize what we're doing and what we're feeding ourselves with? Are we keeping ourselves pure and righteous as best we can and not filling ourselves with garbage? Well, our conscience, like you said before, our conscience becomes so 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 serious that we we are. Uh, it's almost like we come to grips with conscience. We will give ourselves a reason why it's okay or an excuse why it's okay, and it it happens all the time. And I understand. Like I say, I look back at shows, and I didn't. I've always been sensitive to the double entendres and all the and the and the blatants. 
But it, it's just things I've watched over, I've started watching over the years since God's grown me, and I'm going, wow, that really attacks this doctrine of God. This attacks this doctrine of God. Very, you know, very subtle, very not directly. Uh, many of the shows with about families over the years have had fathers that were total imbeciles. And the mother was, was the one that ran the house. And then it got beyond that, then the next generation of it was mother and, mother and father were total imbeciles and the kids are running the house. Those ones bothered me directly. I used to get away with some of these fathers looking like imbeciles, but now I look at it and say, look at the generation of kids that we've been growing up that don't respect their father. Now they don't respect their mother. Now they think they should be running everything and, you know, and everything. Why? Because this progression of shows that have taken them you know, educated them that they're smarter than adults and they should be running things. And I'm not saying it's not 100% true to, true to life yeah, in many cases, accurate, but. but to sit there and get a steady diet of this stuff over and over and over again without a godly point of view coming involved with it, saying, okay, yes, he's stumbling, yes, he's falling, but, and he's going to come to the end, but God will, God will be the one that supports, you know, having something to be hang, hanging on to is very important. And the problem that we do is if we're not into God's word, we're going to get the wrong impressions all the time. And this is why I'm a big advocate of, I don't have a problem with somebody studying other religions or some of their books, but I've said it over and over again. If you spend an hour or two in some other religion, you spend an hour or two beyond what you normally would do in the Bible to counterbalance the garbage that you have fed into your mind. And it's just critical that we do this stuff. I would even go, if somebody wants to watch four hours of TV every night, they need to be reading the Bible for four hours to clean up what it is that they've stuffed in their mind. That will still not be a full counterbalance. It's better not to do the one, you know, do the other. But you need to have an equal amount of God's word and God, time with God as you fill your mind full of garbage. Because we need to keep it washed. We, and... We're only now starting to really understand the power of television and its influence over people. It's been going on you know, for about 60 years now, but we're really only beginning to start truly understanding the power that television and movies have on our way that we think. And it's critical. It's critical. We used to have generation of people who really knew the Bible. Why? Because they spent time reading the Bible. They didn't have all this other garbage to to fill their mind with. And now if we're watching, uh, watching all this other garbage and trying to fill our mind with the word of God to counterbalance, we're never growing. We're just keeping at an even, play, even pain, plane. And we need to be able to grow and get ourselves to grow. And it doesn't mean get rid of totally everything, but we need to spend a lot more time in God's word than we do in these other activities. They were books, and before that, you would use your imagination. You would usually use your imagination back then. Now, the, the, the picture that they attach to it is what becomes what everybody sees rather than everybody having their own picture of what this person looks like or acts and does. And well, in the, in the colonial days, we all, everybody learned to read through in the Bible. And it was critical. 
the nations that have had the highest literacy rate in the world because the most important thing that you can do is read the Word of God. So the Jews teach all of their children how to read. They can at least read Hebrew. They may not be able to read whatever language of their, of their town, their country they live in, but they've been able to read Hebrew. In America, we taught our kids to read for one reason, and that's so they could read the Bible. Matter of fact, the first Congress printed Bibles and gave a Bible to every family in America for free. That's how important they thought the Bible was in the founding fathers. If they tried to do that in today's government, uh, they, would, they would draw all kinds of lawsuits and stuff. And yet the first Continental Congress did that and did it without being attacked because that's how much everybody believed in the Word of God. It is so important that we keep this in mind. We need the Word of God. It's, it was critical to our life. It's critical to growing. It's critical to expanding with God and desiring God. Because if we don't start getting into His Word, we're never going to get that hunger for His Word. We're never going to get that hunger for Him. Because the Word of God is who He is. It tells us all about God. Without the Word, we would be left trying to figure out what God is and what He wants. And with the Word, He tells us exactly what He wants. And we otherwise would just try to scorn Him. And this is true. Most people want to scorn God. You know, God, you know, you've got your rules. I just want to do things my way. Yeah. The whole idea started out the very first sin was to be like God. Started with Lucifer in heaven where he could see God. And he says, I will ascend unto the mount of God. I will be like the most high. A lot of people will say he tried to be, he wanted to be greater than God. No, he wanted to be like God. He was tired of being the one that passed the worship to God. The number one angel. He had the number one, the best spot in the, of all of creation at that time in heaven. The number one angel. And yet it wasn't good enough for him. And he sinned because he wanted to be like God. Then he came to this world and the sin of Adam and Eve was, you can be like God. Eat of this fruit and you can be like God. Same sin. And what's been the problem every generation since then? People wanting to be like God. I want to be God of my life. I want to be the one that picks and chooses what's right and what's wrong. What's our big activity in this day and age? It's called designer religions. People take what they like out of each religion and say, this is my religion. I'm a Hindu, Buddhist, Zen, Jew, or a, or a Muslim, Druid, uh, <laughs> Thor worshiper. You know, it's, they, they pick and choose what they want to believe, and they take what they consider the best of all these religions. What are they really doing? They're saying, I'm God. I can decide what's right and wrong in my life. And that's what they're doing. They're raising themselves to get the status of God. Now, they won't admit that, but that's really what they're doing. I, I like this out of this religion. I like this out of this religion. I like this out of... The, well, I like some of these things that Jesus said. I'll take a little bit of that and mix them all together and say, I'm God. I picked what I want to believe. It's very critical that we take and we look at what God says and we bend our will to God's will. And I've said this many times. These people who want to blend their different religions together, I really have no respect at all for them because they're just trying to pick and choose what they want to believe. 
I have more respect for somebody who says, I'm a Buddhist and, I'm going, and this is what I'm going to put my whole hope in and follow Buddhism than I do for these people that mix them. Now, Buddhists are still wrong. They're going to go to hell with, when they die if they don't know Jesus Christ. But at least they are saying, I am pinning everything I have on this religious system. And we're doing the same thing as Christians, even though I'm absolutely sure we're right and the word of God is right. We're pinning everything that we have on Jesus and the Father and the truth of the word of God. Now, it, it makes a whole lot of sense to me, and it's all accurate. There's no discrepancies in the Word of God, so I know that I've got a, that my bed is safe. Life that he's given me in this daily day walk is so firm that I've told people, you know, because they'll go, well, what if you're wrong in your Christianity? I, well, I've lost nothing. I've enjoyed every moment that God has given me to walk in this life with him. If there is no heaven, if there is no afterlife, I have enjoyed this life to its to, to its complete degree because of God's peace that he's given me. Religion all has good things that they do because the problem is all religion is based do do more good than bad and please the deity. I guess on a daily basis, that's, that's almost like a problem. Well, on a daily basis, if, if your goal is to do more good than bad, you're going to do a lot of good things. Some of the nicest people you will ever meet are following the religions that are going to take them to hell because they're trying to earn their way into the number one slot in the celestial positions. But they're some of the nicest people you can meet because why? Because every good deed they do builds up to help them get, get the blessing. The problem is most people like to have a God that totally makes sense to them. The only problem with that is if you can make sense of your God and he makes total sense to you, he's not God. It's a, it's a man that has got a lot of power. This is the, the Greek gods. They were human in everything except they had lots of power. They had the same lusts and angers and, and jealousies and, and desires for, for sex and everything else only amplified because they were more powerful. This is what man does when he creates a god. He takes something that is a, usually a sin and amplifies it into a higher level and starts worshiping by committing that sin. And what ends up happening is if you can understand your god completely, then you don't have a god. You have some amplified human being. We cannot understand God completely. We cannot understand the Trinity because it is beyond us. It just is something we cannot understand. We cannot understand the love that he has for all of humanity no matter how bad they get. We just can't understand that because that's not human. We can't understand the power that he has and yet he doesn't use it in the way that we would examine, expect a human type God to use it as. He is beyond anything we can comprehend, which to me proves that he's God. Because I cannot understand him completely, therefore that proves to me he is God. Because if I could understand him, or if I could find people who understood him, you know, smarter people than me that understood him, then I would say he's not God because he's too small. Part of the things that you look at when you get into the theology books, no matter how many different theologians you look at, 
There's things we do not understand and nobody has fully understood. And you see that all through the books. They'll try hard to describe it. And usually when I teach the Trinity, I'll start out with the idea, we're going to talk about the Trinity today. We're going to give you all the verses about the Trinity and you won't understand the Trinity any better when we get done than you do before you start. Because it's something we cannot understand. We have to take it by faith that what God says is true is true. And this is what we have to understand. A book like the Bible is amazing. No errors, no contradictions in the whole book. Do you realize how amazing that is? If you go to college and you read books, from, two books written by the same professor, okay, if he doesn't contradict himself internally in the books, and he probably will, he definitely will contradict himself in the two books and say different things. And that's just the same professor. Add multiple professors in the same discipline and you're going to have chaos with, between how many uh, contradictions there are. Now, do something like the Bible. 40 different authors. All with different fields of education, levels of education and different occupations. Try to do that with any other collection of books. Because people go, oh, you picked those books. Try to do that with any collection of books. Pick 40 different authors and talking about similar topic even. And try to find one that's not going to contradict each other. It's not going to happen. This book is a special book that is powerful because of its unity. It's the book that talks about Jesus Christ from the very front cover to the very back cover. The context of the Bible is Jesus. All the way from the beginning. That's why when we're in the Old Testament, I try to bring him in so often because I want people to see he's there from the very beginning to the very end and everywhere in the middle of it. <laughs> Jesus. This is a book that is so powerful. A book that I've been studying for more than 45 years and it's still fresh and new and new things coming out of it. I have never been able to do that with any other book that I've read. Every other book, I know the story really well. I know exactly where it's going. And I, every once in a while, some new point will come out, but not very often. Yeah. But this book is powerful. It is an amazing, miraculous book for amazing, miraculous God who's bigger than we are. And this is when people will go, well, how can you understand that stuff? I can't, and that's the proof to me that it's real. I can't understand everything there is to know about God. Why did God create man knowing that he, we were going to fall and that he'd have to redeem us? That makes no sense to me as a human being. Human beings would have said he created somebody that had a great chance of being perfect and expected him and then would have been shocked that he fell. And yet God knew from the beginning because it says Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He knew man was going to sin, so therefore Jesus was going to have to die. And he told him as soon as they, as soon as they sinned, that's exactly what he said. The Messiah is coming. Yeah. It was not a surprise to him. So we look at this and say, how do we know God is real? <laughs> powerful, powerful testimony in front of us. It's probably hard to we created something that was perfect. They chose to do wrong. He gave them the will and the free choice to do right or wrong. 
and they chose to do wrong even though they were perfect. They were the only human that was ever perfect was Adam and Eve, other than Jesus, who was, God, was the anthropos, the God-man. When, even as, once we're saved, God could have made us perfect the moment we were saved. But he still gives us a chance to learn, to grow, to, to follow, and to, to make decisions. So basically, we're not going to grow if we don't desire to grow, we're not going to grow. Oh, you never will be if you hand it to us. Growth happens because you go through challenges. And God's given us our tests and our trials. And the one good thing that we want to keep, always keep in mind, we are going through all these challenges, and it's just going to be a short period of time because for all eternity, this little tiny sliver of time that we live in determines our position for eternity. We need to really understand that. Go through whatever trials, whatever temptations, whatever problems that come your way and just say, God, I'm going to take this because even if I live to be 500, which is outrageous in our, in our day and age, but even if I live to be 500, what is 500 years compared to eternity? And this is what what I do today establishes where I will be in eternity. What rank, what position, what my responsibilities will be. And the good news is once we hit heaven, we'll never be tempted to and lose whatever we lose anything from that point on. We will be perfect. No more need of, temp, no more need of trials and, and, and teaching because we've already gone through it. We've gone through it in the period of time that we lived. And this is something we've got to keep in mind, no matter what comes our way. This is why when Paul was praying, you know, take this wave, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I will give you the grace to get through it because it's only going to be a short time, Paul, until you are with me in heaven. Job, you're going through this hard time. and know it seems really bad, but it's only my grace is sufficient. I will keep you and I'm going to reward you. And then you're going to get really rewarded when you go to heaven. It does seem like sometimes things pile up. Lots of things pile up for us. But no matter if everything went wrong, if everything went wrong in your life, okay, and I'm literally meaning everything, it's still only going to be 80 to 100 years that you're going to have to endure, and then you're rewarded for having gone through all that hardship that, you're going to go, that you went through. Now, nobody has ever had everything going wrong in their life. Job is about as close as anybody's ever been. And even he didn't have everything go wrong in his life during that period of time. He had a lot go wrong. Don't get this, you know, we don't want to get, nobody really wants to go through what he went through, but not everything went wrong in his life even at that period of time. So we want to keep this in mind. God has a reason. He's growing us, but the reward in heaven far outweighs anything that we're going to go through into this. But the question is, do we believe it? Do we truly believe that the reward is greater than anything we're going to go through? If we do, then we just look at it and say, okay, God, I don't understand it. And this is one of my favorite lines. When I go through things I don't understand and it seems really bad, I'm going, God, I don't understand it. But you've promised that it's for good. Not necessarily my good, but it is for good. That's been one of my favorite lines for over two decades now. God, I don't understand it, but you've promised that it's for good. So when you're going through things that make no sense, use that as your phrase. Yeah. God, I really don't understand it, but you have promised that it's for good. 
may not be for your good. It may be for others looking at you and saying, wow, how faithful you are going through all this hassle and headaches. But God has a reason and something he's trying to develop. Learn to look and say, God, what is it you want me to learn? What is it you want me to do? What is it that you want me to accomplish through all of this? And if it's, if it's nothing but endure, then endure. If it's to learn something, learn it. I've all told you guys many times, I spent almost five and a half years fighting God in an area of my life that he was trying to work with me on. Okay, five and a half years. I'm a slow learner sometimes. Yeah. And it had to do with being in charge of my own life. I'm an administrator and a planner, and I was going to go, I was going to work my way out of all my problems. And I put together a lot of good plans to get out of those problems. And I know they were good plans because that's, that's who I am. I'm a planner. And God would not let any of those plans work. And finally, after five and a half years, I said, God, I give up. And God has done a lot of blessings in my life since then. Some of the problems we go through are our own creation because we're fighting God. Now, God lets them happen and he orchestrates them, but because we're fighting him, we go through a lot of hard things. Some of them are just him doing a Job thing. I want to teach you a few things to pay attention and learn. Some of it is, are you just going to trust me that I've got a plan? We don't know what we're in in, in any one situation unless we've caused it ourselves and kind of we know those ones. I'm, I'm reaping the words of what I've done. Okay, God, I understand. Or when we finally learn the lesson, oh, is this why I've been going through the hard time for you know, five days, six months, 10 years, 30 years? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a really slow learner, God. I've spent 80 years trying to learn this. And God, God's a patient teacher. He'll keep, a, he'll keep working on it until you finally, finally learn. But he's patient to make sure that you will learn your lesson. It's kind of like breaking horses. He'll keep doing it. It's not like our school system where, well, you didn't learn this. We're going to the next section anyway. God says, you haven't learned it. We're going to keep learning this lesson until you finally learn it. Then he'll take you to the next lesson. And then there's just those times when he just says, are you just going to be patient to understand that I am in control? I have a, I have a plan. You don't necessarily need to understand it, but I have a plan. Where we're at in each one of those places, or we need to look at. The first thing we need to learn when look at when things seem to be going wrong is, God, am I reaping something that I have sown? I confess my sin. This God, I'm really sorry that I did this. I repent. I'm going to turn away from it. And we may still have to go through the consequences. And usually do have to go through the consequences. But at least then we know, okay, I deserve, I really deserve what I'm getting. The next step, if you find out, you kind of realize, well, maybe I don't, you know, I can't seem to find anything. I deserve this. Then we go in the next step. God, what is it you're trying to teach me? And really look at what he's trying to teach you. Is he trying to teach you patience? Is he trying to teach you a deeper understanding of his love and his mercy and, and, and care for others or whatever it might possibly be? It could be a million things. Just open the Bible. You'll find all kinds of things in there that he may be trying to teach you. And then the other part may be just have faith in me. Just endure. My grace is sufficient. I want to teach you to, follow, to live in my grace. Any one of those three areas can be true, and it could be multiple areas within those three areas. I could be getting to what I deserve, but he also wants me to show, teach me to just endure, and that his grace is sufficient. Or he could be, you know, I deserve it, and he's trying to teach me something. 
not to do it again, usually. <laughs> but whatever it is, we look at our life and we try to follow our through and not just say, oh, okay, God, I give up. <laughs> because there's something that he wants us to learn. And it should draw us closer to him. No matter what, we should draw closer to him through anything. If I'm being disciplined, it's a thank you, God, that you cared enough to discipline me and get me out of this area, and we draw closer to him. If he's teaching me, oh, God, thank you for teaching me this. That's probably the easiest of the three. God, you've taught me this. Okay, thank you. That's an easy one to go after. You know, you know, thank you for teaching me. Enduring, that's a little tougher. That's probably the toughest one of all to get through, and many Christians have to go through it. Paul had to go through it. You know, God, I don't know why. I don't, seem, I don't think I've done anything wrong to deserve this. I don't, think you're, I don't see what you're trying to teach me in this. I'm just going to endure. And I draw closer, and I embrace him, and I hide within him, saying, God, I'm just going to draw closer to you. It's the most rewarding of them, and yet the one we don't want to face, because it makes, seems to be no sense in it. And yet it draws us closer to him, and the way it draws us closer to him is really rewarding, more so than the other two. It's the one we least want to go through, and yet the most reward is we draw closer to God in the process. Again, how do we look at things? You know, a lot of things come down to what is our attitude. Am I going to submit to God and draw to him, or am I going to push back away from whatever he's doing in my life? And the more we trust him, the more we get into God's word, the more we accept it, the better off we're going to be in, it, in the accepting of what he's trying to teach us. And where we can fight. And you can be like me, you can fight for five years. I've read biographies where people have fought for decades against God. Okay? God's going to win. He is going to win. We can sit there and fight with him a whole long time or we can surrender. I'm going to tell you, I have learned that it's much better to surrender than to sit and argue and fight with God for a long period of time. And I've gotten much better at just surrendering with God and saying, okay, God, what is it, what is it we're going to do today? God, God, you know, God asked me one time if I, after I taught something, and go, he goes, do you believe that? I'm on my way home, and he goes, do you believe that? And I'm going, yes. He goes, and I, and I go, okay, God, what's the cost? <laughs> what, what, what are you wanting me to do at this point? <laughs> you know, how much? How far? How long? <laughs> God will keep doing this, and our answer needs to be, okay, God, what do you want? <laughs> You know, how high do you want me to jump, God? How far do you want me to run? How, do, how, how long is this going to take? And be just surrendered to him. And believe me, I say I've learned it. I'm sure I've got a long ways yet to go, but I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. <laughs> I used to fight with God all the time, and he's kind of dented my skull enough now that I don't usually fight with him near as long anymore. I fight with him initially because I don't really think about it from the spiritual side, and then I kind of re- start thinking from the spiritual side. I'm like, all right, God, you're teaching me something. To help me learn it real quick. I, I'm giving up. Surrender. Surrender to him. The more we walk with him, the more we surrender, the more we have faith in him, the more we have trust in him, the easier it gets. The more of those tests that we pass, the easier they get. Even though the tests get harder, it's still easier to pass the test. It's kind of like being a mechanic. When you first learn everything, everything is tough. Okay? Everything you do, you don't really understand it, but then you start applying the principles you learned in one place to another, to another place, to another place, and, they, and the principles all become simpler. And even though the problems get bigger and harder, the answer seems to be coming a lot easier because you've learned 
the steps through it. And this is what he does in our spiritual walk. Our first steps, we get knocked over and bowled over and, and struggle over. And then we get further along and the problems are bigger. But we've taken all these little steps that say, oh, okay, I can apply this, this, and this to it. And God gets us through that problem because he's showing us how to surrender in stronger and bigger and bigger ways. And we have more and more faith that we, that we go through. And we have a quicker reliance on him. And we just kind of back off from everything else. We're going to close in prayer. When, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come before you. Lord, help us to learn to walk with you. Help us to learn to follow you in all of our decisions and, and just to trust you in a great way. And we just ask you to guide and lead in your son's name. Amen.